Welcome. This is Corinne Modokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. All right, you all, Laura Boyd is back, and we're going to be talking about boundaries today. It is such a necessary conversation because, frankly, we all kind of suck at doing it. There's so much room for improvement, and it actually helps us all. So, she and I are going to talk about what comes up when we think about setting boundaries, why it's hard, and why it's essential. I will circle back with you after our conversation. Laura Boyd, hello and welcome back. Thank you, Corinne. Remember, I think I forced myself back. You didn't force yourself back. (laughs) Why do we have to be derogatory towards ourselves? (laughs) Well, because I think it's funny because you're like, well, I guess we're doing another podcast. Yep, we we are now. But we're having fun. The listeners like it. And we're going to talk about your favorite topic, boundaries today. My favorite. Yes, absolutely. As I actually swore on the last podcast, when I said inner bitch, when we started talking about boundaries, (laughs) and now I just swore again. (laughs) We were replaying the, the podcast a minute ago. And she's like, I said that. I'm like, yes, it's all okay. We don't need to judge. You said it. It's okay. All right. So Laura, what comes up for you when you think about setting boundaries? When I think of setting boundaries, I think of, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So I know we've talked about that in the past about the people pleasing and all that, but I don't like boundaries because I then I I don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but then I also feel that I can't do something. And that to me doesn't feel very good. Okay. So first we just have to go back to this hurting other people's feelings. <laughs> Where do people's feelings come from? Their thoughts. Their thoughts. <laughs> Does it come from your actions? <laughs> you know, that's, I think that's a, it, I know I struggle with that a little bit, but my actions then cause them to have a thought that causes them to have a feeling and then they, they respond, right? So who's responsible for their thinking? They are. They are. Yes. And we have to get that down. We are all story-making creatures. Our brain likes to create a story. We like to create a narrative. Like we'll we'll use this boundary. We have TSA, right? So in the United States, if you want to get on a, a plane, right, a commercial flight, you're going through TSA. That is a boundary. We now know we have to be there at a certain time, right? We have to go through TSA. It's a huge boundary. Pre 9-11, we didn't have TSA right? We could walk up to the gate. I could walk you to the gate. Can't do that anymore. Does that hurt your feelings? No. No, because you don't think that you don't personalize what's happening with TSA. Is it a pain? Yes. Do we not like it? Do we not want to take off our shoes? There's all these different things. We could pay for TSA pre-check, right? There's a lot of different things we can do, but it doesn't hurt our feelings. But then what we have been taught, and I think especially as women, is I am responsible for your feelings. And if I ask for what I want, what I need, I'm going to hurt you versus looking at what's the cost long term if I don't have this boundary. I think part of that too, though, if you think about careers, it's very similar because we do things in our career 
we do too much maybe in our career and we don't set those boundaries because I think the fear, right? So we live in this fear paradigm is that we're not going to move up or they're going to think I don't know how to do my job. I can't get promoted. I'm not going to get that bonus. I mean, right? These are all the thoughts that we have in our head. And I think a lot of time that's why people don't create boundaries. And that's men and women in that capacity, I would say. Well, absolutely. And that's the approval whoring we do. We'll sell ourselves out because the promise is one day we won't have to do this anymore. We just don't realize that we're continuously teaching people to treat us in this manner. Right. And we kind of talked about this in the great resignation because we said, remember, wherever you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. So until you start recognizing and becoming aware of, wow, I've really got to create boundaries because I think people are like, I'm burned out. Well, what caused you to get burned out? Let's go back to the root of that. Mm -hmm. You know, not in a shameful manner, but just to unpack it. Yeah, absolutely. Just data points. So so let's go back to this. So hurting other people, you don't want to establish boundaries because you don't want to hurt other people's feelings. So if you don't have boundaries for what you need, what's the cost to you? It usually becomes resentment and Mm -hmm. really the cost, the ultimate cost is time. Time. And then how are you around your family when you have resentment? I don't use resentment. I just, I just, what's that called? Chandeliering, you know, where you just shove it down. Do you, is it chandeliering or stockpiling? I think it might be stock. Okay. Oh, well, it could be because it's the stockpiling is about pushing it down and then your body holding onto it and then it coming out in your body. Chandeliering. Right. Yeah. So it could be one of those. So I think that's for, with my family, that's more. The tendency is that I just shove it down because I'm like, well, I'm a mom and this is what I'm supposed to do. Or I'm a wife and this is what I'm supposed to do. What's the cost to you? I I would say just time. And then inside, madness. But it's time taken away from something else. Mm -hmm. Who are you mad at? Well, I should be mad at myself, but I'm usually mad at the other person that made me (laughs) do the task or the whatever they needed to be done. Mm-hmm. The madness, right? makes me think of Harriet Lerner and she wrote the book, The Dance of Anger. And the key concept that I learned from her was anger means boundaries have been broken. Right. But so I think then you- that's where, you know, Brene comes in with the courageous conversations, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have that type of relationship with someone that's in your circle of trust or you're, you know, she calls it this now the square squad, but yeah. Square squad. Yeah. So even if my husband's in that box, in this particular moment, if he's asked me to do something that I don't necessarily want to do and it's going against my boundaries, then it's like, I'm mad at him when I really should be mad at me. And really I should be mad at just, we just need to have this conversation. Like these are my boundaries. And I think that's the hardest thing. People don't want to have those conversations. And what if we just stop shitting on ourselves? Hmm. I don't know who I'd be without shitting on myself. <laughs> shitting or shitting? <laughs> I was saying shitting. Oh, <laughs> shitting is what I, you know, now I'm all sweary. So this morning, I'm going to go shitting again. <sighs> I bring out this like swearing out of you. <laughs> You're such a bad influence, Corinne. But I do, I think that. It's interesting because my daughter just wrote a paper this week. It was so interesting. She had to write something about something that impacted her and the so what part of it. 
and she tried all these different topics and all this, you know, all these things. And one of the things that she came up with was perfectionism. And I was like, oh, this is going to be exciting because I can sit there and help her with it. So I asked her questions on it. And it was so interesting. She had never really thought about her being a perfectionist because she goes, I don't have any examples of that. And so I was like, here's one, here's two, here's three, here's four, you know. And it's it's interesting because that is a, you know, a 17-year-old trying to mm-hmm. become more aware mm-hmm. of herself and and some of her tendencies, but she too isn't setting boundaries because I haven't taught her that. So it's it's so interesting how it just keeps flowing down and we're not doing anything about it. We just keep living how we're used to living. Well, because it kind of works and it really serves other people and there's a cost to you. But I think of it as, you know, the Taylor Swift, you know, death by a thousand cuts, right? I think of it as death by a thousand paper cuts, my, my own rendition of that. You can handle it. But after a while, you have all these paper cuts all over yourself. It's like becomes intolerable. I would agree with that. And I I don't like paper cuts. <laughs> They're painful. Right. How do we get them to recognize it and then start moving into these conversations? Well, so first is, is that before you can set the boundaries, you have to believe that you're not hurting people's feelings by setting boundaries, right? You can't be emotionally attached to them. Are you setting a boundary because you're trying to be a bitch? Not usually. Why is a boundary necessary? So you both are on the same page of what's important to me, Mm -hmm. right? So then you don't do the action. Well, so there, there are different types of boundaries, right? And so we'll go with COVID, right? So things are very unclear. I mean, things have been unclear and they continue to be unclear and everybody has different boundaries around it, right? So I had a girlfriend that came over last night and she knows that you come into my house, we wear a mask. That part's really clear. We sat outside, you know, and we connected. But if we weren't clear with her, she wouldn't know what I felt comfortable with. And if I didn't, probably what would happen is if I didn't take that courageous step establishing, you know, that, hey, in our house, we wear masks, then I probably wouldn't have people over. Right. And so if, if I'm not, or I would sit there and this is the old approval for me. I would let people come into my house. I would sit there and the entire time my brain would be spinning going, Oh my gosh, I hope I don't get COVID. I know they're vaccinated, but I hope I don't get COVID. Like I would just freak out about that and then, you know, be testing. And so I would do all this extra work, which goes back to your thing of time. What's the cost to me is I would probably have sleepless nights. There'd be all this drama in my brain. I'd go get tested a whole bunch, you know, and then I would be beating myself up. That is why for me, a boundary is really important. Here's in my home, if we want to gather, here is how I'm okay. Here's how I'm not okay. I'm trying to put together a trip for, it'll be our first, well, with the young uncle monsters, it'll be our first travel trip since February of 2020. We're going to, I think we're going to go to Oregon and we've been trying to figure out like, how is this going to work? And do we put kids, you know, what are the boundaries and what's okay? What's not okay. And some people may not be happy with the parameters. I mean, there is a risk to that. They could leave our team because they don't like the boundaries, right? So I have to look at what are the guidelines? What do I feel comfortable with? You know, what is socially responsible and what would happen if somebody does get COVID while while they're away? 
right? There's many factors, Mm -hmm. not the responsibility I want none of, but because of the role that I choose to be in, I've got to go through and do that. Are people going to be frustrated, mad, angry? Absolutely, right? Because people don't want to deal with this stuff. But if I'm going to stick three or four teenagers in a hotel room together for four days, we have to be really clear of what's okay and what's not okay. So I think people would hear that and they would say, yeah, Corinne, well, you're the boss, right? Like you get to make those decisions. But what if I'm the team member and Mm -hmm. I try to share my boundaries and others don't necessarily abide by it? And I actually had a female engineer say to me this week, she said, you know, I think all of this is, is great, but when you work in a male industry, sometimes when we create boundaries or we have these courageous conversations, we seem like a bitch. We're kind of then labeled as a bitch. Mm-hmm. And I said to- We're not kind of, we are labeled. We are labeled, yes. Well, she said kind of, because she's people pleasing me. But anyway, so I, <laughs> I wonder, how do they have those conversations? And does it impact their career? Does it impact their career? What I mean, do you will think? it? Because I what think sometimes think? for me, it was like as I was going through my career, I did things that were uncomfortable because they were outside of my boundaries. But I knew if I didn't do them, I wasn't seen as a team player or I wasn't seen as someone that should have the senior vice president title, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where boundaries get really mushy. But that's mm-hmm. where resentment comes in too. Mm-hmm. So who is more important? Well, and that goes back to the great resignation and why so many people are opting out, right? So they'll sell themselves out, sell themselves out, sell themselves out, and then finally go, this is bullshit. I'm out, right? I don't need this. I'm out. And there is, I think, a cultural message that is not written, may not even be directly said of, oh, you need to be accommodating right? You want to rise to the ranks, you need to be accommodating. And I think for even more so for women, even more so, you need to be accommodating. And so the perception is for strong women that you are a bitch if you're really clear, because it will get, (laughs) you may put the problem in front of you and then they'll personalize you instead of dealing with the problem. Right. And then that becomes more of a value misalignment if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. So all of this just spirals down. But then is that where you attempt to share your boundaries and then you see how it goes Then you might have to keep doing it? So at what point, and like you said, is this the great resignation? Like if somebody did share their boundaries and continuously did that and they saw no change, then that's when they're leaving, right? Well, and I think some people will look at that and make a change, right? They will say, this doesn't fit if they have that capacity. And for some people, it's, you know, some people listen to me and say, well, that's really privileged to be able to make that choice and to be able to walk away from a job. Yes. And right now is a great time because <laughs> there's so many unfilled job opportunities. And, and I think the other thing that's really important too is it's not like there is a company, a job that is the promised land, right? There's Every organization that you and I will go into, they're going to have their stuff because we all bring in our own baggage. And so it's it's about looking where there's more of a value alignment versus less, but it's not going to be like this perfect match. You know, oftentimes I talk about, are you and the other person, are you a good fit, like a pieces of a puzzle? 
sometimes in, in work that we do. And I just went through this with a client yesterday of like, okay, well, why are you at this company? Right. Cause all of a sudden she had some doubts and she went through like her very specific reasons why I go, do you like your reasons? Why? Absolutely. Okay. Right now, focus on that and focus on the work that you want to do. We don't need to make any decisions about two years from now, five years from now, focus on the reasons you like this company. And at the time when it's time to turn, you can reevaluate, but not reactively, not out of fear or out of shame, but out of, oh, there's other opportunities or what else do I want to do? Right. Or maybe she's outgrown the work that she's doing. Who knows? But get really clear. So not everything is in alignment with her values, but the three really important things for her, that is something that why she's at this company right now. And that's what matters, right? So I, I just think like sometimes we can be like, it can be really easy to go through and go, oh, I don't value a line here or, oh, I don't value a line here. or Oh, they don't, you know, listen to my boundary. People don't. Like as soon as I'm working with clients on boundaries, I'm like, okay, so the first thing that happens when you establish a boundary, people are going to try to push it down. They're going to try to push it down. If that means like, if your boundary is you're going to take an hour on your schedule to have lunch, right? Because you're like, I just need to stop thinking. I need to step away from my computer and I need to be by myself. Somebody's going to go on your calendar and schedule it. It just happens. Like that is the promise, right? And then all the stuff is like, oh my God, people are taking advantage of me. That's an often common thought I hear. But that means you have to go back to them and say, oh, I see that you scheduled on my lunch hour or I see you scheduled at this time. I am not available. Let's look at here are two other options. Do they work for you? Right. And not even having to get into the justification of why you need lunch. There's a whole bunch of research out there about why it's important to take breaks and stuff. And we have a work culture that's like, we've got to grind it out. We have to, you know, sacrifice ourselves. We have to put in all these hours. It's a lot of crappy work that comes out of that, right? Because we're not machines. So depending on, they may not buy that part, but you can establish that boundary. I like that. And it's it's interesting because if you think of all of our podcasts that we've had together, they all connect, right? And so the reason we got on this topic is because the last podcast we talked about is leadership becoming soft. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because when you are in an organization and you say, this is my boundary, and I'm telling leaders, you need to respect that or at least have a conversation on it. And they're like, why? Mm -hmm. That's not how I did it. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, somebody just Mm -hmm. said, you're going to do this and this is how Mm -hmm. you do it. Mm -hmm. And so in their mindset, they're thinking, this is soft. Because now we're adjusting to others versus just being told. And it's because, well, we didn't grow up that way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting because I think that is where some of the organizations, when I'm working with them, because like I think a lot of the work that you do, Corinne, is you're working with a lot of individuals, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're, you're helping them like myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am so different three years from three years ago. Mm-hmm. Even though people see me and they're like, well, you're really not. But anyway, mm-hmm. but inside I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Are you happier? Do you have an inner peace inside of yes. you now that you did not have three years ago? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We just, I, I know I was saying in one of our conversations this week, I said, well, can I just be this? Like, cause it, can it just be that I didn't have time to do this? 
that there was no like hidden agenda or something I was struggling with. And we're like, yeah, I mean, it just could be a time thing. And I was, then I was done with it. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't that all that mental drama of like, oh my gosh, I didn't do it. You know, what's Corinne going to think? There wasn't all of that stuff that can happen in our brains. Like, oh, I didn't do it. I'm not a good student or what, all that bullshit, right? Like, here's what happened. And yes, that was really good for you. Oh, thanks, Corinne. So <laughs> I'm not trying to please you. So anyway. <laughs> I just said that was good for you. I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take it. Because that is that was one of my challenges was that I was seeking approval from others. And I was seeking the at a girl type of thing in every situation I did. And with me. <laughs> and with yes, yes. <laughs> but I think so I, I think that there's a, a bigger challenge with organizations and I see this often when I work with individuals and it's like I it's like I take a goldfish out of a dirty bowl and I shine them up and get them all ready and then I put them back mm-hmm. in the same bowl. And they're like, what the? Mm-hmm. They have no desire to be there because they're like, wait a second. This is not who I am anymore because I've worked on myself and all these other things. That's where the misalignment comes in. So that's where the organizations are. St- I think they are still leading from a bad place. I, I don't think that they've caught up with where they need to be. And I have one client who has 32 priorities. I said, how are you going to get 32 priorities done? And he just said, well, I got to figure out a way. No, you don't. What is it that you could do differently? And, and what are the things that you really should be working on? But I think that that's, I think that's where organizations are really challenged, is how do we help all of the leaders just kind of see things differently? Well, it goes, this goes back to boundaries again, right? I see that if everything's important, nothing's important. You can't have 32 priorities. You can't. Right. It's just not, there's not the, we don't have that capacity. And again, like I, sometimes I use this with my clients of, we are in the society of more is better, bigger is better, right? You need to write a 10 and it was, we've been indoctrinated with this, like in college, a 10 page term paper, right? Like, Oh, this will show that you're, you've really grinded it out. So we, we've been so culturally programmed to be conditioned that more is better. Then you go into the workforce. Well, you know, we work 70, 80 hours a week. Well, you may not be very good at what you do if that's how much you work, right? Like how much time is wasted because you don't have really good focus time. And all of my clients, the key theme is, Corinne, everybody's really behaving poorly. I'm like, absolutely. Because everybody's really exhausted. They're surge depleted. They have decision fatigue. Executive functions not working in this COVID fatigued world, right? People thought they're going to be returning to the offices. Now, now they're like, we're not quite sure. And then what's okay, what's not okay. Nobody wants to take a stand because if they establish a boundary, they also have a belief that they're going to hurt people's feelings or they're going to be appeared as the bitch or the asshole instead of clear is kind. Like I use Brene's quote, so many times. Clear is kind. It's so much easier. Think about it. If you go to an Indian restaurant, right? Do you expect to get a burger and fries? No, that would be like, what's going on? Right? Like you want Indian food, you go to an Indian food restaurant and you get Indian food, right? Like that's an example of boundaries and clear being kind. But we have taken that concept 
and personalize it that we're horrible people when we do it. That when we when expect we something different? When we establish boundaries. Oh, when we step, yeah. And, and part of it could be that we're so afraid to set a boundary that we may puff up, right? Or, and I've done this because I didn't set a boundary, didn't set a boundary, didn't set a boundary. And then I get really mad and then I puff up and I like put down the Berlin wall, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. And I think it's interesting because I love that more concept. Well, I don't love it, but I, I love that that you've brought that up because I think that's important is it was always, and people have heard me say this a lot, is I had a partner say to me, Laura, you get to the top of the mountain, you're always like, what's the next highest mountain? Mm-hmm. When you get to that top of that mountain, you're like, what's the next highest mountain? Right? right? So I've said that many times and it, I, that visual is so true that I think so many people are there. Mm-hmm. And that's that more. And then there's the scarcity component of that. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't get there, what am I missing out on? What am I not having? It's that FOMO. Yeah. And instead of asking ourselves the question is what brings me fulfillment? What is meaningful to me? And then trusting that what is important to you, right? Like if it's a career-wise thing is enough. So I had this client who was an engineer and he went to Stanford and he came to me and he was in his fifties, early fifties. And he said, I'm undisciplined. I'm like, you're undisciplined. Tell me about this. Wow. So he'd been an engineer for 15 years at the same company. So I don't, when you're an engineer at the same company for 15 years, I don't consider you undisciplined. He went to Stanford and he was in the PhD program and he was in there for seven or nine years. I can't remember. And he didn't finish getting his PhD, which is actually really common in engineering. And it was, it came down to the dissertation. He goes, oh, see, this is why I'm not disciplined. Later on, we were doing some values work and his number one value was creativity. (laughs) The opposite of that is conformity, right? Like when you do PhD work, there's a lot of conformity within the institution. Mm -hmm. It's a class. It's a values class. So he opted out, didn't get his PhD, got his master's, has a job, loves his job. Well, he was in this values conflict because he really liked the level at where he worked at the company. It really worked. It worked for him with his family. He could walk his daughter to elementary school. It all worked. But there was this voice in his head, this isn't enough. I should, I should try to be moving up. Right. And I was like, whose voice is that? And he goes, it's my mom's. I'm like, okay, but what do you want? He's, he said, well, she'll say you went to Stanford, you have this degree, like you should be, you know, higher up. But for him, his value was so many other things. He liked, their family liked to travel, right? He liked to have this time off. He liked to do his work. He liked to walk his daughter to elementary school. He liked his life. And some people would say, oh, you're playing small, but it wasn't small for him. So he had to go, these are my boundaries. These are my priorities of what I want to do. I don't want to rise up and be a director or be a higher level. That wasn't important to him. So I think, you know, we, when you talk about more is there aren't the boundaries because we're like, oh, more, more, more. But what is it? that we need to live fulfilled lives, to have meaning, to have connection, you know, instead of what we tend to do and what has been really admired in the workforce is sacrifice yourself. I mean, and I've, I've played this, right? Sacrifice yourself, run over your family, you know, dedicate yourself to your career. And then one day wake up and be by yourself, 
right? Because these relationships have been neglected instead of nurtured. Right? That's a very extreme, but those type of things happen. So For sure. that I think is why boundaries are really important. Not to say that it's not a cop out. Like if we go back to the last podcast of, you know, are these leadership skills soft? You know, isn't an excuse, right? We talked about compassion mm-hmm. being an excuse. Is boundaries an excuse? But thinking about why you're having this boundary. Is it that you're lazy because you need an hour lunch break? Or have you noticed that when you take that hour, that you are way better at getting stuff done, figuring out problems versus, and we're going to all, you know, we're adults, right? We're adults, we're executives, things happen, so we can't always do it. Versus when you notice that you just keep going, 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 how effective are you later in the day? And it's really listening to what your cycle is. So for the listeners, if if I'm sitting in an organization and it feels like I'm constantly getting asked to do things that are outside Mm -hmm. of my boundaries, Mm -hmm. what would we say would be something that they should consider to, not should, but could consider doing? Well, and so this is a great point, like, right, when you're not a leader and you have a boss that keeps going, giving you more work without understanding that it's not humanly possible, right? right? And I deal with this all the time. Yes. So you can sit down with your boss and say, okay, so here is what you've asked to do. And here is what I've got going on. I need to help to figure out what are the real big priorities for the company because this isn't manageable with one person, right? And you'll have to explain that story and walk them through that because not everything can be important. And some leaders are, you know, because they'll go, well, I did this. I mean, whether it's leaders, doctors, you know, whoever, right? Who's gone through the snow and all of that. So it's about showing the story of what's really going on because they may not, the boss may not realize it. What we're talking about is recommending a courageous conversation about these are the boundaries and really showcasing the misalignment of priorities Mm -hmm. and having that conversation. Yeah. What I'm not saying is don't go to your boss and say, you're ridiculous. You've given me too much work, right? Because then, then they're going to be like, then it's a power struggle. But really showing, right? And I'm not saying because I I know the overachievers are like, oh my gosh, I've got to sit down. It's going to take six hours. Like, no, right? Walk them through. Here's what you have said that I need to get done. Here's all the stuff and how much time it takes. What do we really need to keep and what may not be necessary to keep? Because the boss may not realize all that you're doing. Right. And then, so what ends up happening is this is the great resignation, right? People don't have this conversation. So then I think the first thing that happens is resentment. Mm-hmm. Like they're super pissed at their boss, which is mm-hmm. interesting because the boss may have no, or you know, manager may not have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. That they're so mad at them. But in a meeting, they're avoiding them. Mm-hmm. And the boss is like, what? I have no idea. They're not saying anything. So I'm just going to go on with my day. It's that brave piece inside of us where that conversation needs to happen and those boundaries need to, and it's not like you need to go into a meeting and say, well, these are my boundaries. I want Mm -hmm. you to abide by them, but it's more about a conversation and you Mm -hmm. understanding what your boundaries are. Would you agree? Yes. You need, you need to understand what it is that you need and give yourself permission, right? So instead of thinking again, this is why it's so important to, to recognize that you can't hurt people's feelings, your delivery, right? Your tone 
that if you're snarky, you're going to bring that energy into the space and they're going to feel that. Or if you're puffing up because you're so damn pissed and you're like, look, I need this hour and you become the martyr, that's not an effective way to have a boundary, right? But if somebody, if somebody goes on your calendar and books your lunch hour and you can let them know, oh, by the way, there was a mistake. This hour, I'm not available. Here are these other two options. That's a boundary. We didn't ever use the word boundary, right? So that's the other thing is sometimes maybe don't use that word because it can be a trigger for people. So knowing that you don't hurt other people's feelings, that is so, so important because I think that leads to our codependency of like, oh, I've got to take care of them. And you're like trying to prepare yourself for whatever story they're going to create, right? And that's their story. You can give them the narrative of what's true, what's true for you. They may or may not hear that. Right. And then I think that's that's the fear side of it for team members. If I'm sitting in that spot, as I have many times, that's that fear sitting there saying, I don't know if I want to have this conversation because what if their thought then is a negative thought toward against me and so then I get fired or they don't put me up for that promotion. And then that's the cost or the opportunity, however you look at it. And if you get fired or you don't get the promotion, it's really important to unpack it and not personalize it. Look what worked well, look what could be improved, right? Because we, I mean, that's one of the things like I have clients who they got fired 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to get fired. And they're bringing that past trauma with them, but they also have grown and are a different person and are stronger, right? And they have more agency. And so reminding like, okay, well, if that did happen, what would that look like for you? And then them realizing like, okay, that's, that's me kind of dress rehearsing tragedy in the situation, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people don't get the jobs that they want or don't get the promotions. And sometimes we don't get enough data. Like sometimes with clients, it's taken six months or a year for them to really understand that while they didn't get what they wanted, it wasn't actually a good fit. And there was something better out there, right? So it's that idea of if not this, then something better. And so then we go, if not this, then something worse. Right. Instead of something better. Mm -hmm. Sure. So it's that fear of loss is why we don't establish a boundary, right? So that's the other aspect of it. But managing risk, I mean, I'm really big about managing risk and I don't have a huge risk tolerance myself. So that part I'm always really big about. And yesterday I was working with a group and we were talking about shame in the organization and how it shows up. And so it's like gossiping, comparison, you know, back channeling the invisible we, right? And we were talking about why people don't speak up in meetings. Well, they're afraid of being, you know, it's all shame. And so that's why you go back channel because you get like kind of your people off to the side. Yeah, wasn't Corinne just a bitch today? Oh yeah, she was a bitch. And yeah, can you believe this? Right. And that happens and that creates toxicity. Like we don't realize that we're contributing to the problem instead of helping make it better. Right. Because we're so afraid to ask a question. And, you know, this, and especially in hierarchical places. So whether it's in corporations that are hierarchical or I have some clients who are nurses and so nurses speaking and asking questions of doctors right? And I've had clients that were doctor. I mean, it's an interesting because there's a huge hierarchy that's in there and there, there'll be puffery and there'll be a lot of blaming that goes on. Mm -hmm. So I think um, it all goes back to, I choose my thoughts, I choose my feelings mm -hmm. and I choose my responses. Mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for your thoughts, your feelings and your responses. 
And if I come back at you in a certain way, let's put that out there. And so if I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, you just don't like me. And that's why you're establishing that. I can say that story. Like the story I'm telling myself is X, or this is how I'm feeling when you do this. And then we can rumble through it, right? And be able to get clarification of what's really going on. You know, if you and I are leaving a meeting, you said, oh, wow, that was a tough meeting. And I'm like, "Ah," and I roll my eyes. You could be like, oh my gosh, she didn't like what I had to say, right? That could be the narrative. I wouldn't know that. And I'm like pissed off because I see something on my cell phone about how, (laughs) here's the story. Like, well, now my kids are grown, but like, oh, I'm the one that gets contacted, you know, for my kid's school and they don't contact my husband and I'm in this important meeting and I have to deal with this. And you're thinking I'm mad at you, but I'm really just pissed off at my husband, right? Like how many women can understand that story? Right. But you may personalize it that I'm mad at you because you said something and had nothing to do with you. And this is why we need to get clarification. Yes. And so just like Brene says, clear is kind. I like to say there's clarity in conflict. Yes. Speaking of boundaries, you have to go. Thank you so much. (laughs) I will be talking to you again. Bye, Laura. Bye, Corinne. Thank you. Okay. So what do you think? Are you in? My invitation for you is to practice establishing boundaries. You don't have to do them in all places. Get really clear. Maybe you've got that colleague who likes to call and verbally vomit and you're like, look, I don't have the capacity for them to do this day in and day out. Or one of the simplest things that you can do is if you choose to pick up the phone is say, hi, I have 10 minutes and you give them 10 minutes and then you follow through on getting off the phone. That is an important boundary. It is okay to do, right? Checking in with what is your responsibility and what is not your responsibility is also really important. Oftentimes, we have that obligation, just like Laura has that obligation of not hurting people's feelings. We have that obligation of, oh, this is my responsibility, or I should take this on, or if I'm a really good colleague, I need to do this. I need to, you know, make sure that this all happens. But is it really your responsibility? Take a look at that. Or are you doing more because you think you should pay attention? So notice when you set boundaries, that's when the shit show happens because you set a boundary and your brain's going to freak out and be like, you're not being nice. Here's your being a bitch. You're too much, right? Or, oh my gosh, you're hurting people's feelings. And then when you notice that stuff, that's a great way to declutter your brain and check in. Is it really true? Is it really true? And paying attention to the discomfort and being okay with having discomfort. And like with my clients, it's often becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. And as we practice it and we get better at it, it becomes less uncomfortable. And it's essential because having boundaries is how you can sustain and have connection and not have resentment or want to quit or run away or say, screw this, or even something more dramatic right? Having boundaries allows you to do the work that you want to do in the world and be of value to your company, to your workplace, to your family. And when you don't have boundaries, that's when resentment and anger come in. And so you may never get mad at your boss because you may be in too much fear, but notice where else is it coming out? Is it coming out at home? Is it coming out on yourself? Are you beating the crap out of yourself because you're so mad? There is a cost and pay attention to that. 
and then go back and give yourself permission to establish boundaries. And you're going to, when you establish boundaries, sometimes it may be like the Berlin wall. It may be too harsh. And guess what? You practice and you learn how to deliver it in a different way. So it can be smoother and you're going to get better in 20 years. The goal is to be really great at boundaries, right? I like to give long runways that way. I don't have to like get into other, all this pressure of, Oh my gosh, I have to get it all done right now. Right. Cause then that's overwhelming. And then I'm like, screw it. I'm out. So we can overcome the obstacles that get in the way of setting boundaries and people aren't going to want to for you to have boundaries. That is very common because it inconveniences them and know that just continue to have your boundaries and practice. Okay. I'm smelling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.